And if you keep Jesus on a shelf and you uh, continue to worship the other idols of our culture that everyone expects you to worship, few people are going to mind. People aren't going to get mad at you if you do that, right? But if you put Jesus out front, you live holy for him and make him Lord of your life, you follow him, what that really means, you're going to watch the sparks fly. As you can tell from that opening quote, we're in for another powerful episode today as Pastor David begins our study in the book of First Thessalonians. Here's Pastor David. We are, as those of you who have been here last week, you know we are uh, going through a series of letters in the Bible that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by Paul. We're actually going to start with the first letter uh, that Paul ever wrote, we believe, around 50 AD. So this is you know, 20 years from, from Jesus rising from the dead, somewhere in there. Uh, Paul writes this letter to the church of Thessalonica. Say that 10 times fast if you can. Thessalonica is in Macedonia, Greece, okay? And the book is called 1 Thessalonians. And it's called 1 Thessalonians because there's two of them. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, both clever names. Um, but to put our, our study in context as we kind of jump in, we want to look at the book of Acts and the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. So we want, to, we want to go through the part that we saw where he was there so that when we read the Bible, when we read his letter to the Thessalonians, we have a little more context. So if you have a Bible, open it up to, we're going to start in Acts chapter 17, right at the beginning of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them in front of you in these chairs or around you somewhere. And if you don't have a Bible at home, Take one home. That's our gift to you. If you didn't bring a Bible today, feel free to grab it. It's going to be up on the screen, but it's, it's nice to be able to have paper and to, to walk through it. So if you want to grab a Bible, there should be some, one around you somewhere. Um, turn to Acts 17, 1 through 10. It says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. That's the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people." But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. That's what we know about Paul, Silas, and we think Timothy was there too, about their experience in Thessalonica. That's it from Acts 17. That's what we know. We know that they went in and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ starting in the synagogue, which is what Paul normally did. For those of you who have been through the book of Acts, you know that he normally went to the synagogue first. And the reaction here in this synagogue was that some people, particularly what's, what's, where they're talking about these Greek, these devout Greeks, these are Greek God-fearers, 
right? And, and if, you, if you understand what a God-fear is, so you would have Jewish people, you'd have the synagogue, and there'd be people who were Jews, full Jews, uh, you know, born as, as Jews and whatever. And then you'd have proselytes, people who had become Jews and gone through all of the, of the rites and the rituals that needed to happen to become uh, proselytes. So they were fully Jews. And then you had God-fears. Those are the people who appreciated there was one true God, recognized that Judaism was correct, liked the Old Testament. They were good with all that, not so much with the circumcision thing, right? And so they were God-fearers. Uh, they could just be called circumcision fears because really that was the thing that was keeping them from becoming proselytes, okay? So there's a bunch of these Greek God-fearers over there and then these prominent women, who came along and decided to follow Christ. They joined them, they gave their lives, lives to Christ, and, and then we saw the church at Thessalonica starts moving. It starts moving forward. It's got some people, they, they're following Christ, they're going. We don't know exactly how much time passed between the three Sabbaths that Paul spent in the synagogue and this next section where it says that the Jews got envious and they, and they rounded up these, these troublemakers and so on. We don't know how long that was. At least one author of a commentary thinks it could have been months, maybe six months. Some say, no, it was just the three weeks, and immediately after that, these guys came and Paul and Silas were out. But basically, the people in Thessalonica had had the benefit of the leadership of, of the Apostle Paul and his crew for somewhere between a few weeks and a few months when Paul had to leave, okay? So the trouble starts, right? They, they, they get some folks, some folks decide to follow them, the church starts up, the Jews get envious, and the trouble starts, right? There's some jealousy, some jealousy. And so they go to the marketplace and they gather up evil men, right? They gather up these evil men. My mom would call them hoods. She used to call kids like people who, they're just hoods. Those people are just, I think she means hood, hoodlums, um, but that's what she would say. Oh, that... That young man you're hanging around, he's a hood. Um, so that's who they went and got, right? They went and found the hoods. They go and they found these, these hoodlums. And, and these are the types of men you could find in a city like Thessalonica. They were easy to, to rile up and get going. And so that's what they did. They riled these guys up. And, uh, and the upshot was the local people and the local rulers got very worked up. They got very worked up. And there were two reasons why they did. I want to walk through the two reasons because you need to understand as we go through the book of Thessalonians, you need to understand the context of what's happening, right? Where they are, what's going on, how did this church start? So these rulers of the city and, these, and the general people of the city are very upset. They're very worked up. That's what it says in the, in the scripture. Number one, they were bringing general upheaval to the culture, General upheaval to the culture. It says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. This is what Jesus Christ did then when he went into some place. He turned the world upside down. And this is what Jesus Christ does now. He turns the world upside down now. And so these people didn't like it. These Thessalonians, they're idol worshipers, okay? I mean, big time idol worshipers. They had all kinds of idols from Greek idols to Roman ones to other places in the world, uh, Egyptian and so on. And, and they worshiped these idols and they worshiped idols of, of things like sex and drunkenness, things like that. These were, these were the kinds of, you can imagine what those worship services were like, and that is what they were like. Don't imagine too much because you don't have to repent. But that's what was going on. That's what was going on in the city. They were all about all of these idols. They were all about pleasure and drunkenness and sexuality and, and immorality. That's what they were all about, okay? And everything was copacetic as long as you did what everybody else did. Okay, as long as you went around with the crowd and you worshiped a bunch of idols and didn't make a big deal about it, you were fine. 
right? You were good. You could worship all of the sex, the drunkenness, the, the nonsense that they had, and you could bring into that any number of gods that you wanted to bring in. You got a shelf up there, and there's like, here's my this God, and here's my that God. They're like, you know, figurines. And they're like, you can bring Jesus in and stick him up there with everybody else and just chill, right? You, you can add whatever religious practice you want. Just be cool. Just be cool. That's how they, that's how they felt. Don't rock the boat. Just be cool. You can bring Jesus in. Cool, bring Jesus in. But just be like the rest of us, right? Don't rock the boat. But these Christ followers were different. They were different. They worshiped one God, and they rejected completely idol worship. Okay? Now, the Jews had already done this. They had said, we worship the one true God, and they were against idol worship. But for whatever reason, that hadn't caused this kind of a stir. But when these people come in, and all these Greeks, these Gentile believers, these prominent women, all these people start coming to Christ and saying, I reject this system of idolatry. I object the worship of, of pleasure and sex and evil. I, I, I reject all that, and I worship the one true God and King, Jesus Christ. People are like, chill, chill. Don't, be, don't turn the world upside down. Don't turn the world upside down. And this is the experience of so many people who come out of their life that God has saved them out of and get, and get saved and follow Christ. So many of them, they start wanting to talk about Jesus. They're transformed in their habits and the things they care about. They no longer worship the idols that, that our society worships of, of the same things they did, sex, money, power, intoxication. But they set their minds on things above and they take, and they take morality and their behavior seriously and they're serious about following Christ and it's the most important thing in their life. And the reaction that so many people have to them is, come on, be cool. Do your Jesus thing. Just keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. It's personal. Don't, don't come over here and affect my life with your religion. Don't let your following of Jesus Christ make me have to think hard about my own life. I don't want that. I don't want the, the boat to be rocked in. You are harshing my mellow, man. Right? Come on. Don't you know just name God whatever you want to. Be spiritual, right? Send me good thoughts when I'm sick. I'm sending you good thoughts. I don't even know how to send good thoughts. I've tried, but I don't know how that works. But they're not going to heal anybody, right? But that's, but that's safe. Send me good thoughts. When we go for a hike in the mountain, you can talk about how God made creation, and we can all feel good for a minute. And not think about all the brokenness and sin and the, and the gong show that my life is because we're up in the mountains and it's all so nice and God's so good as long as I don't have to think about God holding me accountable, right? Keep that away from me. Don't tell me about Jesus. Don't tell me about the real Jesus. Don't tell me about the real Jesus. Don't, don't talk about things that transform, that change, that chasten. And so they're basically, don't turn the world upside down. I'm comfortable and some people get angry. Some of you experience this with your own families or your own friends. They get angry. There's anger there. Maybe not quite to the extent of a mob of hoods, um, but they're angry, right? And so here are these Thessalonians. They're idol worshipers. They're used to a system, right? They're used to a system where you don't, socially, you don't mess with it. You let it go. You don't reject it. I'm okay. You're okay. I can go do this and you can go do that and we're all going to be cool. Sound familiar? That's what's going on. And these people come in, they say, no, there's a right, there's a wrong. Jesus Christ died, rose again. There's truth. There's, there's real justice. There's real truth. There's real mercy. There's real hope. These are real things. And we reject this culture. And they said, don't turn the world upside down. Really, 
It's not going upside down, right? What we know is that the world is upside down, and Jesus Christ turns it right side up. It just depends on which way you're looking. But people want the, the, the Jesus as my homeboy vibe, right? You've seen those T-shirts. Jesus, the, the Jesus that's like cool with everything, everything can just stay the way it is. You know, that Jesus, the, the, the Jesus that, that is, is not asking anything of you. The good teacher, Jesus. The one with the sheep. You've seen the picture, right? That's that, the soft, the gentle. Not the real Jesus. Not the one who brings radical love, radical transformation, right? Radical peace. No, that's not what they want. They don't want the Jesus who commands confession and repentance and turning and submission to him as Lord. That kind of Jesus, that would turn the world upside down for them. They don't want it. They don't want it. And maybe that's some people in the church today. Maybe that's some people in this building today. Right? I'll go to church. I'll put a fish on my car. People still do that? Put a fish on their car? I stopped doing that because, well, I'm a terrible driver. Um, some of you are like, I know. Um, but you don't put the fish on there. You know, like, oh, that's a pastor. Praise the Lord. Um, but I do, when people drive with me, they do pray more. So I don't know if that helps. I, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to put the, the fish on my car. I'm going, to, I'm going to sort of go to a certain extent, right? I'll be a cultural Christian. But when it comes to standing against the world and all that the world offers, I don't want people to be upset. I want to be a Christian personally. This is my personal belief, but I don't want to turn the world right side up. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to turn the world right side up. I don't want to harsh mellows. I don't want to mess with people's vibes. I want to just let people be people and me be me. And if you keep Jesus on a shelf and you uh, continue to worship the other idols of our culture that everyone expects you to worship, few people are going to mind. People aren't going to get mad at you if you do that, right? But if you put Jesus out front, you live holy for him and make him Lord of your life. You follow him, what that really means. You're going to watch the sparks fly. You're going to watch the sparks fly because people in your sphere of influence will feel like your Christ following is turning their world upside down. And they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it. This is the reason that the Thessalonian people and leaders of the Thessalonian people were sideways with these new Christ followers. One of these reasons was they're turning the world upside down. They're messing with our thing that we've got. Now, there's another reason, too. They, they basically worshipped, not basically, they did. They worshipped the emperor as king. Worshipped like he was a god, okay? And they would not let anyone talk about a new king in Macedonia, which is, you know, remember they were fighting way back. They had their own king. You weren't allowed to talk about that because they knew if that ever happened, if they ever started an uprising of any kind, that Rome would come and crush them and take all their stuff again and not pay taxes for another hundred years. They knew that was going to happen if they messed around. So it was very important that no one ever talked about an uprising or another king. Now, we read in Acts 17, 7, these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. Then it says, and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Yeah. Yeah, it troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city because for almost 200 years, they had kept everything cool by, by making nice with whoever was winning and not having an uprising. 
And because of that, they got to be a, a free city, which meant they didn't have Romans uh, garrisoned inside their city. They got to have a lot, of, a lot more uh, freedom in their own personal government and so on because they never talked about another king. And so when these Christians are coming, these new believers, and they're saying, we follow a king, Jesus, that is incredibly dangerous to them because they want to protect what they've got. It's the same kind of thing. In one sense, it's don't rock the boat spiritually. Don't rock the boat uh, with, with my day-to-day life. And this one, it's don't rock the boat economically. Don't rock the boat for what we've got going here. Don't start talking about another king. We don't need those rumors going around because then Caesar's going to come in. So that's, that's who these folks are. That's who the Thessalonians are. Are. And because of this, persecution started. Now imagine you had just become a new believer in Jesus Christ, okay? You accepted Christ, you're happy, you're, you're ready to go. And you get somewhere between three weeks and maybe six months of instruction. And then you're persecuted. And you don't have any of the leaders who are instructing you there. And you've got to keep making it work. And you're alone and you're afraid. Not an easy thing for the Thessalonians to deal with, right? Not an easy trial for them to be under. And so uh, Paul has sent Timothy up there to encourage them, to meet with them, to see how things were going. Have they been able to stick it out with, with all the persecution, with all the affliction that they've had? Or have they given up? So Timothy comes back and he says, no, we're generally, we got good news here. These folks are following Christ. And so uh, the report came back and then Paul writes, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write the letter of 1 Thessalonians, and that's where we begin in Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, that's Silvanus, is Silas, okay, Silas, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop there for a second. Paul calls them the church of the Thessalonians. Now, that may not seem like a big deal. It's like that at the beginning of a lot of his letters and so on. But, but think about this. He's identified them. He's identifying them as the called out body of Christ. These people who are suffering affliction, who are dealing with all this stuff, who have, who have, have been through everything they've been through, he's saying, listen, I'm identifying you. I'm calling you by name. You are the church, Christ's body. You are the church in God, the Father and in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Now listen, for those who were floundering around out there in Thessalonica, just like the people here who are, for those who were lonely, for those who were broken and left unsatisfied by the cults and the idolatry and the culture and the partying and the prostitution and all the things that went on there, and they found emptiness in that, and they wanted desperately, as all human beings do, to belong to something real. Right? That's who these Thessalonians were. They wanted to belong to something true. And Paul steps up and identifies them. You are the church at Thessalonica. You are part of something real and true and big. And you're connected with the body of Christ all over the world. You are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That may not seem significant to you, but oh boy, it's significant. People are rock, walking around today all over the world, and by the way, in your neighborhoods. And they're pasting on fake smiles and making misleading Facebook posts about what their life is really like, but inside, they're desperately looking for something true. They're desperately looking for something real, something that recognizes and expresses their real value and who they are. Something that recognizes the world as it is, 
You know, the death rate from alcohol among middle-aged people, okay? And depends on what middle age is, okay? But let's just say 35, 45, 55 in that area. The death rate in the last 10 years, well, 2007 to 2017, a study came out, and it's going way up. And actually more with both men and women, but more with women than with men. People are becoming heavily, heavily, heavily addicted to alcohol, much more than they were 10 years ago. As we continue to walk through this broken culture, as we continue to walk through the lies and the deceit and the things that look like they're going to give you joy and leave you with nothing, there are people all over who are dealing with it. Interestingly, the young people are actually having much lower deaths from alcohol as they're looking forward, believing that somebody's going to come out and tell them that there's something real and tell them that there's something true. They're holding on to that hope rather than drowning that away in intoxication, leading to all kinds of problems. They're, we have the, the young people right now, they're actually drinking less, having sex less, doing those things less. They're actually, they actually get their heads on their shoulders a little better than we did. I'm not saying they're not doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Kids, you know, do as do adults. But they're looking for something. And the people who are in middle age are saying, I, I've, I've been looking and I can't find something. And yet here we stand. Here we sit in this room with Jesus Christ, which is who they're looking for. So is that who you're looking for? Have you realized that nothing else will fill the hole in your life and you need Jesus? If so, we would love to help answer any questions you have and help you find purpose, hope, and real life in Him. Call us at 360-885-9000 or come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get easy directions at axechurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. Thanks for listening, and you want to be sure and check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.